If you would, please turn your, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. Please don't be afraid of this chapter. I, know, I realize there are 66 verses. So you're not going to be here for the duration. But anyway, let's think about last week. Last week we studied 1 Kings 7. Now what was the situation that that chapter represented? Well, first of all, the temple structure was finished. You remember that? We saw a number of great slides that Keith Wills showed. And what a magnificent temple it was. Uh, it was the first temple, and it was the most magnificent temple by far. Subsequent temples that were made after this temple was destroyed were nice, but they weren't anything like Solomon. Solomon's temple was the great temple. So the, the structure was finished in Solomon, and the people were happy about it. But something was missing. You see, the Ark of the Covenant had not yet been placed in the Holy of Holies. It was in a temporary place in Jerusalem, and it had to be, for the temple to be complete, it had to be placed in the Holy of Holies. Now, I ask you a question. Why was it so important that, number one, the temple be built in Jerusalem, and why was it so necessary that the ark be placed in the Holy of Holies? Why? Well, first of all, we need to know that uh, Samuel... Uh, Solomon was a man of the scriptures. He was a man of wisdom. God had given him great wisdom like no other man who had lived before him or since other than the Lord Jesus himself. And yet the scripture tells us why Sam Solomon felt so led to do this. Please turn in your Bible, if you would, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. This is why, what we're going to see is why the temple was supposed to be built in Jerusalem and why the Ark of the Covenant was to be placed in the Holy of Holies, one of the two great rooms in the temple. Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you're there, would you hold your hand up? Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Thank you. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the car carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. Now, many of you are familiar with this. How many of you know where God chose to put his name? What tribe? was it? The tribe of Judah. Why Judah? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was to come from the tribe of Judah. And what great city grew up in the middle of Judah? Jerusalem. So God chose to put his name there. That's where he wanted the structure where people would go to worship him. Verse 6, there you shall take your burnt offerings, 
your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and your choice, choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. So in obedience to that, Solomon says, I'm going to build the temple for God in Jerusalem, because this is where God said he wanted his name to be. And then turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. And we'll look at verse 21. This is about the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, I asked you the question, why in Jerusalem and why was it necessary for the Ark of the Covenant to be placed in the temple? This is the answer to that second question. Exodus 25, verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and the Ark... And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Now, what was the testimony that he gave to Moses? The two tablets of stone, the law. And Moses placed those in the ark, which was like a piece of furniture overlaid with gold and had two cherubim on top. So the, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Verse 22, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So God said, I'm literally going to speak to you from the mercy seat. Now, if you can remember our study about this, no one could go into the Holy of Holies but the high priest himself. If anyone else went in there, they would die. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with an offering of the blood of one male spotless lamb. And he would take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And if he did not bring blood with him, God would kill him. He would die. I understand, I read that there was a custom amongst the Jews that they would tie a rope around the high priest. And when he walked into the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain. Nobody else could go back there but him. And he, so he had this rope and it was tied to his leg. And when he would approach the Ark of the Covenant, he said for some reason he stayed in there and didn't come out. 
Everybody was afraid to go in and get him, so they would pull him out by the rope, drag him out. I wonder if they ever had to do that. My guess is they never had to do that. Who knows? So anyway, God spoke to them. So he, God had said he would select the place where Israel was to place the temple in Jerusalem and how and where he would meet with them and where he would speak to them above the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat. How about today? How about today? Would you put up slide number four? Do we have it up there yet? This is her first time, so don't, don't rush her. She's doing her best. Okay. So what, what about today? How does God speak to us today? How did God say that he would meet with us and speak to us in this dispensation, this day of grace? Well, look at the verses. In John 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And then in verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then in in verse 23, he said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So all you have to do is love the Lord. Love the Lord Jesus, love God the Father, and he will make his home with you. I know most of you pretty well. I know that God has made his home with you, and you acknowledge that and you rejoice in that. And then in Matthew 18, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So as we look about us tonight, the Lord Jesus is in our midst because we are gathered together in his name. Why don't you say something with me? We welcome you, Lord Jesus. We're glad you're here. Amen. And then in Psalm 89, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. So when we come to church, we should come with great anticipation that God is going to meet us here. If our hearts are right, if we're loving him the way we should, and we're being obedient to him the way we should, God is going to manifest his presence to us. I'm sure you've experienced that many times. Now let's go to the next section, or I should say the first section in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, if you would turn back to that. Solomon knew that the temple couldn't be complete without the Ark of the Covenant being placed in the Holy of Holies. So what does he do about it? Well, he picks a great feast day, the Feast of Tabernacles, to call all of the leading, all the leading men of Israel and many other men, evidently, to Jerusalem to observe this great day. I have an idea of having the wisdom that God gave him that he knew that something special was going to happen when they commemorated the temple and brought the ark into the Holy of Holies. Look at verse 1. Now Solomon assembled the elders of, of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion, 
Therefore all the men of Israel assemble with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Now, if you remember from our Old Testament studies, there are several main feasts every year that the Jews during this time observed, and to this day, Orthodox Jews still observe it. There is the Feast of Passover, where the, the Lord spared the homes of the people who had the blood on the doorpost. It's called Passover because the death angel passed over that home and didn't kill the firstborn. And then there was the Feast of uh, Pentecost, which was 70 day, or 50 days later, and the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So on the, on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month, Solomon summons all these leading men of Israel to come to Jerusalem. And, you know, it wasn't just like a, a trek in the park. Many of these men were at least 90 miles away from Jerusalem. And they didn't have a cab or a car or a train to get there. They had to walk. Some of them rode donkeys and some horses, I guess. But they had 90 miles to go, many of them. Some of them had five miles to go, some of them had a long way. So all of the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark. If you remember, only the priests could carry the ark. Every once in a while, someone who wasn't a priest would attempt to touch the ark. And do you remember what happened to that person? They would die. So all the, pri- all the priests, all the elders came, and the priests took up the ark. And then verse 4, Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant to the, of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from the outside and they are there to this day, at least to the day that this was written. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there in Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue in ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So God showed himself strong when they put the Ark of the Covenant in obedience to his command. And now Solomon rejoicing before the people, he turns around and speaks to all of the people. Look at verse 12. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Of course, he didn't dwell there forever, did he? Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. 
but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord, God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. Do you remember why God wouldn't let David build the temple? He was a man of war. He was a warrior, and God didn't want him to do that. Verse 20, So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread on his hands toward heaven. And then he prays. And his prayer is recorded in verse 23 through 53. If you would put up slide number three, please. This is his prayer. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. I'm, going to, I'm just going to hit some of the high points. First in verse 23, and the verses are there if you... No, they're not there, but you can read them in your Bible, of course. But in verse 23, he praises God in front of all the people. And if you think about it, he's really reminding the people that God is great and worthy of our praise. You, did you know that God visits us in a special way when you praise him? He visits you in a special way. In Psalm 22, it says, Thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And then in verse 24, he thanks God for keeping his promises. And in verse 25, he asked him to keep a, a specific promise, which is conditional. I'm going to read that one. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel, therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. And here's the condition. Only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O Lord God of Israel, that your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. Now, the sad thing about this prayer of Solomon here, this particular place, he said, if, you're, if you're, my descendants, future kings of Israel, walk in the way of God, keep your promises, Lord. Well, Solomon walked with God for quite some time. Then he stopped walking with God. And God said that he would snatch the kingdom away from Judah and from the descendants of Solomon. Because he did this. So the condition was not met by the descendants of Solomon. And it wasn't met by Solomon either. That's the sad thing about it. And then in verse 27, Solomon acknowledges in his prayer the limitations of the temple. He says in that verse, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. So when you go to church, you're not going to a building. Well, hopefully you have a building over your head, right? But you're going to be with God's people and to experience the existence of God, the presence of God. 
And then he, in verse 28, he asked God to listen to his prayer. Have you ever felt that you need to ask God to listen to your prayers? Now, why would we do that? Why would we ask God to listen to our prayer? When he has told us over and over and over that when we pray, he listens to us. In 1 Peter 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. He said, Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. God has promised over and over and over to listen to us. We don't have to ask him to listen. He has promised to listen. And yet, Solomon, even with all his wisdom, says, Listen to my prayer. And then in verse 29, he speaks to God about keeping his eyes on the temple day and night and his ears open to the prayers made from the temple or toward the temple, no matter where they were in Israel. If they faced the temple, he said, Lord, remember and hear these prayers. <coughs> Again, he really didn't have to pray that prayer, but he did. Then in verse 31, he says, judge between the righteous and the wicked. And in verse 33, he says, Restore your people to the land when they're defeated in battle and taken captive when they repent. Restore your people when they repent. And then in verses 35 and 36, he says, When there is no rain and your people repent, send rain upon the land. And then in verses 37 through 40, he said, When there is famine or plague and they repent, forgive and heal their land. He's covering the bases, isn't he? And then in verses 41 through 43, he says, Hear and answer the foreigner who prays toward this temple, that all people of the earth may know you and fear you. You know, it isn't just in the New Testament that God wants the, his people to reach out to the uttermost part of the earth. You remember he gave that commission to the apostles and to the believers to go to the uttermost part of the earth. That's our commission today. And yet, even in the Old Testament dispensation, he cared about all the other peoples in the world. And here Solomon, who he gave great wisdom, says, Hear and answer the foreigner who prays toward this temple. Let me read that. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. Here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. That's why people in the New Testament, like the centurion who was a Roman, had come to know the Lord, and why he sought out the Lord Jesus. And then in verses 44 and 45, he says, When you send your people to battle, and they pray toward this city and this temple, maintain their cause and help them win the battle. And then in verses 46 through 53, which is the tail end of the prayer, I'm summarizing this for you. When your people sin and are taken captive, if they turn to you in repentance with all their heart, cause their captors, captors to have compassion on them. Now, when you think about the uh, different parts of this prayer, Solomon really covered the bases about obeying God, keeping God's promises, about doing what God wanted to do, praying for the foreigners, praying that when anyone would turn toward this temple, whether they were near or far away, that God would listen to them. He really covered the bases, and he prayed an intercessory prayer for the nation of Israel.
Now they assembled, all the men of Israel were called to assemble in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now do you know to this day the Jews, Orthodox Jews, still keep this feast? And their custom is to build booths or tabernacles. Tabernacle means booth or tent. Uh, Orthodox Jews to this day build booths a lot of times in their backyard and for those seven days of this feast they live in those booths they eat and sleep in those booths I have a picture of some of those booths in the backyard of a Jewish home I think it's slide number four I think there they are now it's kind of hard to tell how big they are but I think the dimensions are somewhere between 10 and 20 feet 10 by 10, 20 by 20 something like that I guess it's according to how much money you have as to what side booth you can make. But they literally do that. And then bring up the next slide, if you would, please. Now, this is if you don't have a booth, you don't have the materials, you just order one from the Internet. <laughs> and if you want a really nice one, it's uh, six, 689 and you can get one that's a little more plain for... Four ninety nine or something like that. I can't read it. It's too far. So they still do this in booths in Israel to this day and in, in, in the United States and every place Jews are. Then in verses 54 to 61, Solomon turns around and pronounces a blessing to everybody who is assembled before him. I'd like to read at least part of that, beginning at verse 54. So it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. And I'll let you read the rest through verse 61. And then in verses 62 to 64, Solomon and the whole assembly offer a tremendous offering in dedication to the temple. And I haven't done enough research to say it for sure, but I have an idea that there was never this number of offerings made in one day beyond this day here. This was the day that the greatest number of offerings were ever made. In all of my study, that's what I've learned so far. Let me just read this to you, beginning at verse 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, and he offered to the Lord 22,000 bulls. Imagine that. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. There were evidently thousands of people who had gathered in Jerusalem. And they, in verse 65, they have a feast. you have an idea of what they must have eaten at that feast? I think they had plenty to eat. So verse 64, on the same day the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. I guess so. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. 
And then in verse 65, it says they, all Israel celebrated a great feast. At that time, Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him and a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. So for many miles, the people sat and ate and praised God. For seven days, and seven more days, 14 days. I guess they just want to make sure you understood it's 14 days. Seven days and seven more days, 14 days. And then in verse 66, the end of the chapter, Solomon sends the multitude home, and they go rejoicing. Look at verse 66. On the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel his people. Now let me summarize this for you, if I may. Early in Jewish history, God dwelt, first of all, in a tent in the tabernacle. It says in Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's Exodus chapter 40. And then in the passage that we read this evening, God filled the temple, the Holy of Holies, with his glory when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. Now, in later years, sadly, when the people turned away from God, the, the man Ezekiel would see the glory of God depart from the temple, would leave the temple because they had disobeyed God. And then many years after that, the glory of God came to earth again. And guess how? In the person of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1, 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And today, every born-again Christian is the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you and whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And the local church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We read that already. I'll read it again. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. And then the whole body of Christ, wherever they are this evening around the world, whether thousands of miles or whether they're close by, wherever God's people are. It says in Ephesians, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In all the ages since Jesus was here, he has been building another temple, and that's the temple of his people. And all of his people are growing into a dwelling place for God. And when the last person that's going to be saved is saved, that temple will be complete and we will be with him in heaven. Now, the, we're going to find out that there will be a future temple, which is during the tribulation period, when the Antichrist will be worshipped by an unbelieving world. And this is in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read that for you, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. 
And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sit as, sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's foretelling his defaming the temple in the tribulation. And then there will be a glorious temple during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. And you can find that in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. And I'll spare you and not read that tonight. And then, but best of all, last of all, and best of all, you know, God is saving the best for last. In Revelation 21, this is the best of all. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are true and faithful. So, brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. And the great thing about it is you're going to see it. You know, Paul said, Though the Lord destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. Even if he destroys this body that you're in, and thank God he's going to destroy it. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I'm ready. <laughs> it seems some days it's being destroyed one day at a time. But anyway, we're going to see it. We're going to see the Lord in new flesh when this, this uh, body that we have is going to take on a new body, and it's going to be like his. And when he comes down from heaven, and that new Jerusalem comes down, and he will be with us. And he said, right, for these words are true and faithful. I forgot to pray for one other person, and I want to do that before as we close. Many of you know Sue Soyley. The other day she was taking a walk and having devotions, praising God, and she stepped on a rock, and she fell. She hit her shoulder and broke her shoulder. And I think she may have broke her wrist as well, or her hand or something. Anyway, I saw her in the hospital, and her shoulder was bandaged up, and she was having to take pain, press a button every few minutes because the pain was pretty intense. But she said, Brother John, he said, I've had a good time in the hospital. She said, I've been able to witness all kind of nurses. And if you know Sue, you understand that that's the way she is. And she said, you know what I said when I was wheeled into the operating room to have my shoulder operated on? So they gave me a block, so I was actually kind of awake when it happened. And I looked up at those two surgeons, and I said, you know what? There are a lot of people praying for you. I said, I'm praying for you, and the people in my church are praying for you. I said, did they say anything? She said, they didn't say a word. She said, well, whether you believe it or not, God is going to be with you as you operate on me. And, of course, he was. And now she's, I think she's being moved, I think, tomorrow to rehab where she has to, is that Larry saying yes? Or is it today? She moved today, I guess. She's in rehab. So they're going to be helping her with her shoulder and like that. She's going to go through some painful rehab, but just let's pray for Sue. 
we need to do a lot of things that Sue does. Sue witnesses and prays for a lot of people. Witnesses to a lot of people, and she prays. She wasn't saved, I think, until she was about 50. But she'd been making up for lost time. Let's pray for Sue. Our Father, we thank you for this dear sister. We thank you for her sweet love of the brethren and her devotion and love for you. How contagious she is. We thank you for her. We, we're sorry, Lord, that she hurt herself, and we thank you, though, that she is trusting you and having joy even in the hospital. So we just continue to pray that you will knit her together and heal her shoulder and wherever else she's hurting and help her black eye, Lord, and just help her to be completely whole and bless her when she's in rehab. And I pray that you'd minimize her pain and suffering and bless her and help her to continue to be that witness that she loves to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.